Well, church family, we, it's probably no shock if you uh, read any level of news, we live in quite the seemingly dark times. There's not a lot of good news that goes on in the, in, in, in the world today. And the reality is uh, no society will ever overcome whatever the faith of its people is. In fact, the only hope for the transformation of society depends on the nature of what faith its people hold, because the faith of the people will determine what the values of the society are. And the purity of the people's faith will determine how committed they are to those values when living in a world filled with conflict and distraction and diversion. It has been said, and bringing this to the church, we've been walking through the book of Jude where he calls us to contend for the one true faith. And church family, it is vital we do so. It has been said the pure church of one generation faces the very real danger of becoming the heretical church of the next. Evasion, even-handedness, and evacuation are not the answers to error. That in a world filled with false teachers who promote counterfeit gospels of individuals who know how to cite Bible verses and, and seemingly use some level of scriptural logic to call people to unbiblical applications, it is vital that we hear the cry of the Lord through His Word and we contend for the faith. That we contend, and I'll remind you as we go to Jude, that contending for the faith, that word speaks of an intense, a strenuous effort. It's not something easy. It's not something haphazard. It is quite literally the battle of eternity in the Christian life. As we've come through Jude, he's called us to contend and he's told us why we're to contend. Where we're going to find the strength, the motivation, the desire. Why are we to contend? Because of whose we are, the Most High God's called ones. Because of then who we are, beloved and kept. Because of what He gives, mercy, peace, love. We know what we're contending for, the one true faith. That is that faith that has been authoritatively delivered and revealed by God Himself. That is perfectly revealed in Jesus Christ that is inerrantly recorded by the Holy Spirit using human authors, a, a faith which reveals a cohesive story of God, creation, fall, redemption, glory that points to a clear, true, objective doctrine which when embraced and believed and brought in by faith to one's life leads, and trans leads to a transformed and fulfilling life which we would call eternal life. Last week we saw who. Who is it we're having to contend with? False teachers. Where is the danger? The danger is there are those who can twist Scripture, who can, by their appearance and the flattery of their words, come in and by all means seem as if there's no danger, yet would shipwreck the faith of those who follow. We know why, we know what, we know who. And today as we close out the book of Jude, he's going to tell us how. How do we do it? How do we contend? So I invite you, church family, turn with me to the book of Jude, 
the book of Jude, and we're going to pick up in verse 17. Verse 17, here's what he says, but you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying to you, in the last time there will be mockers following after their own ungodly desires. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. Here's what he says. He says, I'm calling you, church family, to step up, to engage in that strenuous effort to contend for the one true faith. And here's how you're going to do it. First, you're going to start by remembering what the apostles have said. Now, for some of those in the church Jude's writing to, they would be remembering what quite literally they heard come out of the mouths of the apostles. For you and I, it's no different because what came out of the mouths of the apostles was recorded inerrantly down by the Spirit. It's the Scriptures. Amen. He calls us to remember that this isn't a surprise, that the Scriptures have told us that there will in the last days, and remember, the last days are those days following the ascension of Jesus into heaven prior to His second coming, which means this, these days, our days, are the last days. We are living in the last days, and He says, remember, in, in in those days, it was, it was already spoken that there will be mockers, those who jeer, who treat with contempt. There will be those who, as far as their character goes, they are mockers of the faith. They hold that one true faith that has been authoritatively delivered by God, revealed in Jesus, and inerrantly recorded by the Spirit. They hold that one true faith to be something that they hold with contempt, that they mock, that they scoff at. But then he makes an interesting statement. If that's their character towards the truth, look what he says. He says they follow after their own ungodly desires. Now here's why that's key. Because there will be individuals today who will come and say, hey, let me tell you, let me tell you how the Bible will actually, what, what you've been told is sinful. God's actually okay with it. Let me show you how. And then they'll walk you through, and this is one of the keys for a lot of the false teachers. They won't use thorough exposition of Scripture, meaning here's what the Bible says, let me show you. Instead, they will give you all kinds of stories that grip you. This story of how I came to realize that what you've been told all your life in the church, it's absolute bogus. Here's what's true, and because I've now seen this new truth that God has shown me, it's changed how I live. That's how it's typically presented, but notice what God says. He says, they make a mockery. They, they, they are scoffers of the one true faith, and it's not that they came to a new discovery that changed their desires. He says, they have been following their lustful fleshly desires their own ungodly desires that do not give the proper respect and awe of God, they have been following their ungodly desires. The desire to justify what is sinful came long before the supposed theology to back it up. Said so these are the nature of these. They can throw out Bible verses, they can attempt to justify their, their actions theologically, but it's not because there is something hidden about truth. It's because they are driven by desires that don't honor God. And 
here's what he says. Here's the fruit of these people. He says they are the ones who cause division. It's a present tense participle, meaning they're ones who are habitually, the fruit of their life is constant division. They, rather than being individuals who enter into the body of Christ and through whom God uses to bring unity in the body, who bring people together around Jesus Christ and his revealed written word, these are people who enter into the body and they start creating splintered groups. of all different kinds, depending on the nature of what their heresy or their teaching is. It says they're worldly-minded, meaning their minds are not driven and taken captive by the Spirit of God, but instead their minds are driven by the ways and the priorities, the teachings and the patterns of this broken world. Now, if you remember in context to the teachers he's talking about, they're claiming, they're claiming and they're leading people to reject scriptural, God's design for sexual morality, which would be one biological man, one biological woman in the exclusive covenant of marriage for life. Anything else outside of that, any other expression or satisfaction of sexual desire and thought or deed outside of that, whether it be heterosexual or homosexual or on down the line, whatever else you want to add to it, is sin because it falls outside of God's design. And these teachers have come in and they've said, hey, we've had a revelation. Remember last week? By dreaming, we've, God has shown, God has opened our eyes. Whatever it is you want to do sexually, it's okay. They, they defile the flesh. They ignore sexual morality. It says they also reject God's authority. Oh, no, the Bible doesn't really say, no, 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 no. I know they told you the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. That's, the Holy Spirit's just a force. It's just the power of God that fills our life, and they ignore, they go beyond the authority of Scripture. And I remember we looked at this Sunday, we looked at it Wednesday. You can do that in ways we might call liberal. You can do that in ways we call legalistic. You can do it in all sorts of ways. You can reject the authority of what Jesus says. They claim by the Holy Spirit then to also have all this insight into all things supernatural and the angels and demons and control and this and that. All of their claims have been built on the fact that they, in fact, are the ones who are actually filled with the supernatural knowledge of God by the Holy Spirit. Yet here it says, in reality, they're not driven in any way by the Spirit. It's not an open-mindedness to the Holy Spirit that's driving them. No, it's their open-minded embrace of the patterns and thought process and values and priorities of the world which drives them. As one individual said, and I I couldn't reword it better, says, any sensitive Christian will pause when something is taught in the name of the Holy Spirit and consider whether they may have previously been taught wrong, but when the Bible is declared outmoded, when the resurrection is denied, when the saving death of Jesus is watered down or the biblical guidelines on sex and marriage are made amenable to people's greed, all in the name of the Spirit's leading, we can be sure the Spirit is not leading. Because the Holy Spirit does not lead contrary to His Word. In fact, these who claim these truths by the Spirit, look what it says about them. He says, remember, it says they are devoid of the Spirit. Now, we're talking about these false teachers false leaders who've crept in unnoticed into the church. And he says, and his statement's major, 
For him to say that they are devoid of the Spirit means they are without the Holy Spirit, which by default means they are not in fact who they claim to be. They are not actual believers. Because the ultimate assurance of if you are in Christ and have been saved is by whether or not the Holy Spirit of God is indwelling and living inside of you, having sealed you forever. So church family, understand today, how are we going to contend? Well, one, we've got to remember. We've got to remember. We've got to heed the apostles' warning, meaning we cannot be alarmed by what we see going on, but we've got to pay attention Let's settle it. Not every Christian, quote unquote, teacher or leader is actually really saved. Not all who claim to be rocking rightly with God are. Not all who teach the word are actually submitted to the word and its claims. We've got to be on guard. We've got to take everything back. Like Paul praises the Berean church. They didn't just go, oh, you're Paul? Great. We'll we'll believe what you said. They said, oh, Paul, that's great. Let's go back to the word and compare it. Oh, wow, Paul, you're right. The Word says exactly what you're saying, so therefore we believe we've got to heed. We've got to understand, church family, that, that in all, and, 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 and this goes to anyone, old or young. I probably have a deeper concern for those who are young because of how much access you have to very cunning and twisted uh, tr- um, half-truths and counterfeit gospels and false theologies via YouTube and Instagram. You have so much more access to things than even what was, uh, what was 10 years ago when I was finishing out my time in undergrad or 12 years ago, whenever it was. <laughs> just because someone knows how to quote some Bible verses and just because they employ a nice personality on camera does not mean, it does not mean that they are representing Jesus Christ as He actually is. Satan prowls around like a lion, appearing as an angel of light, not a nasty, red, ugly, horned beast that he is so brilliantly convinced all of us he looks like. We've got to wake up and pay attention, church family. We have got to remember so that we don't fall in, so that we don't come back and go, wow, I wasn't ready, and we don't fall in, and we're not deceived. We've got to remember that that the presence of these people is not a surprise. In fact, the presence of these people is actually a confirmation that Jesus is exactly who He says He is because these are exactly the kind of people He said would come in His name. We've got to remember. What else? He says this, but you, beloved, and remembering this and remembering the reality of these false teachers so that you're not caught unaware, so that you don't fall prey, and remembering, he says, but you, beloved, building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. He says, here's what you are to do. Now, You might be tempted to read theirs. There's four things he says. But in reality, of those four things, there's only one that is is the imperative command. The other three are the participles which tell us how to do that command. 
So the command is this. Let me reread it in in the way that's reflective of, of the original language. But you, beloved, keep yourselves in the love of God. How are we going to contend, church family? We're going to contend for the one true faith by keeping ourselves in the love of God. Now, that word keep, it means to guard, to protect. We're going to act in such a way, and it's us who are called to act, to guard and protect where we are in the love of God. Now, at first glance, there's some who may go, well, pastor, that that sounds like that, that, that I have to earn the love of God. No, that is not what's being said. In fact, the word for love of God, there's agape. And you want to know about agape love, there's nothing you can do to earn it. Agape love, unconditional love, has nothing to do with the performance in the merit of the one who's loved. You can't earn God's unconditional love. If you could, it wouldn't be his agape love. The call here is not for you and I to earn the love of God. The call here is this. It's for you and I who have been saved by grace through faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ, who have been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ because there came that moment, whenever it was, whether we were a child, a teenager, a young adult, a median adult, an old adult, whether it was five days ago or whether it was 50 years ago, there came that moment where the Holy Spirit of God convicted our hearts that we were in fact made in the image of God but broken by sin. And Jesus came and lived the life that we can't, died the death we deserve, rose from the grave, and offers a salvation where he will rescue us out of that sin and brokenness and restore us to a right relationship with our Creator, with God Himself. For those of us who've responded to that, who are biblically Christian, Keeping ourselves in the love of God means to protect ourselves, to be in a place where we tangibly experience the love of God. Listen, God loves the whole world, but the whole world's not going to experience personally and intimately His love. But His sons and daughters adopted in Christ, we have the ability to experience it tangibly. We possess the ability, it means keeping ourselves in a place where the love of God is actively constraining us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, where, where it constrains us so that we no longer live for ourselves, but for Him who saved us, where we are able, keeping us in a place where we are able by the Lord's grace and strength to comprehend what is the height, depth, breadth, and width, what is the love of God for us in Christ Jesus, Ephesians chapter 3, so that we will be filled with His fullness. It's guarding and keeping ourselves in a, in a place where our love is transformed, where we love God and we love each other and we love this world, not because we love, but because He first loved us and we are in a place where we are daily experiencing the fullness and wonder and reality of being God's called out ones, His beloved. It means keeping ourselves in a place where those, those things are true. Well, how do we keep ourselves in that place? Well, he tells us three things, three ways to keep ourselves in the love of God. Building yourselves up on your most holy faith. He employs an, a building imagery. It says in Scripture that the foundation of our faith is Jesus Christ. 
It's not us, it's not our works, it's not our efforts, it's Jesus. It's his life, it's his work, it's his effort. It says elsewhere that describing that foundation a little more, there's a foundation of the prophets and the apostles, that'd be the Old and New Testament, the scriptures, that sits and is bound together by Jesus Christ as the cornerstone. That on this foundation of Jesus Christ in our life, that we are to build. That on this holy slab, we are to build a beautiful structure. Building yourself up, present tense, meaning a lifelong effort as long as God has kept us here, we are to build up. Well, how do you build yourself up? Well, real simple, church family, you build yourself up in your holy faith by growing in the knowledge of the faith. It means growing in your understanding of the Word. And listen, there's no shortcut here. You want to grow in your knowledge of the faith, you've got to read your Bible. Amen. It's real simple. There's no shortcut. You've got to not just read our Bible, but we've got to meditate on Scripture. Keeping the Word on our lips, repeating it over and over. We've got to, to pray Scripture. We've got to treasure Scripture in our hearts. We've got to go deeper and deeper, abiding in Christ, knowing His Word, feeding on the truth. Listen, the building up of our faith is not some mystical or mysterious thing that happens. It's basic, daily, intentional effort to root ourselves in the Word. You've got to be in the Word. But it's not just that. It's not just, okay, if I'm going to build myself up, I've got to increase my Bible knowledge. No. I've got to increase my feeding, my dependence on, my knowing and understanding of the Word. And if it's real, if I'm building up, then it means by faith I am living based on that Word, what that Word tells me to do. It's not just head knowledge. It's knowledge, all right, it's knowledge that leads to me actually doing, by faith, what the Word tells me to do. It's twofold. This is how we build ourselves up. We, we intake the Word, we read the Word, we meditate on the Word, but then we trust the Word and we go out and we do the Word, the whole of our lives, our intellects, our actions, our conscience, our motives, our imaginations are being brought into conformity to God's Word. And here's the real reality, church family. For some of us, our tangible experience as believers of God's love in our lives is weak because of our willful lack of actual knowledge of what the Word says, because of our willful disbelief. We know what it says, but we don't want to believe it. Because of our willful continued disobedience, we don't want to do it. We know what it says, and we know it's right, but we don't want to do it. And do you notice it says building yourselves up? Yourselves is plural, meaning none of us are called to do this as a lone ranger. Some of our experience is weak because we've attempted to be Lone Ranger Christians and we've ignored the fellowship of the body of Christ. You can't build yourself up only on your own. It, it, it's all of us building ourselves up, building each other up, spurring one another on to love and good deeds. It says if you're going to keep yourself in the love of God, you build yourselves up in your most holy faith. You pray in the Holy Spirit. But what do we mean by praying in the Holy Spirit? Well, how does the Holy Spirit pray? According to Romans 8, the Holy Spirit prays the will of God. 
So let me just make this real simple. What does he mean by praying in the Holy Spirit? Praying in the Holy Spirit is not some weird, bizarre, mystical thing he's referencing here. Praying in the Holy Spirit is when you and I walk in the Holy Spirit, dependent upon the Spirit, and when you and I allow the Word of God and the will of God to drive what we're praying and not our own wish list and demands that God meet our will. Doesn't mean we can't pray for the things we wish. Absolutely pray. Ask the Lord, but then lay those wishes down with open hands and in loving submission, not my will but yours be done, O Lord. We pray in the Spirit, which means this, you and I will not be able to contend for the faith if we are not active and have a real tangible prayer life both in our own lives and for those around. And so I just encourage you, church family, we've got to be a praying church. Sign up for the 24-7 prayer ministry. Pray. Got a prayer gathering tonight. Be here and pray. We will not move. We will not contend well for the faith if we go, man, we've got really great programs. We've got really creative activities for the kids and the youth. We've got, we're great. No, listen, you can have none of that and be far greater in contending for the faith if you are a church who abides in the Word on your knees in prayer. We've got to pray in the Spirit. But he says a third thing, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, that if we're to keep ourselves in the love of God, there has to be an eagerness that is looking for the return of Christ earnestly. That if we're to really keep ourselves, guard and protect ourselves in that place where we experience the love of God and we are demonstrating love for God and the love of God to the world, we've got to build ourselves up in our most holy faith, taking in the word, living out the word. We've got to pray in the spirit, meaning pray driven by the spirit, the will of God. And we've got to be marked by this eager looking for the mercy of Jesus Christ to be revealed to eternal life is what it says, meaning there should be an eagerness for eternity. Yet how many of our lives are marked by rarely ever even a thought of eternity, but oh so many thoughts of the here and now. And don't mistake me, this isn't saying you can't think about the here and now. I'm living in light of eternity, who cares if the dishes get put up? If you're single, that may work for you for a while. If you're married, that's a guaranteed disaster. Living in light of eternity, don't need a job. That's what the Thessalonians were doing, and Paul rebukes them and says, if you don't work as a believer, that's worse than even not believing in Christ. So we're not being crazy, but what we are saying is there is a real desire and affection. There is real thought, desiring, hungering, eagerly longing for the Lord's return. Is it present in our life? It's these three ways we keep ourselves in the love of God. So how are we to contend? We're to remember. How are we to contend? We're to keep. How are we to contend? We're to show mercy. Look with me, verse 22. And have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, rescue them by snatching them out of the fire. And on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. Here's what he says. He says, how else are we to contend for the faith? If, if one, we've got to wake up and be aware. If two, there's how are we going to act in keeping ourselves? And there's, there's an action towards those that we see falling astray. 
He says, show mercy. Show mercy. Mercy, a word which means to be filled with compassion, a compassion that grips and moves us to action when seeing someone in a dire need, in a dangerous affliction, seeing someone who is trapped, ensnared, hurt, who may not even be aware of the gravity of their situation. And I am so moved, not with anger, not with frustration, not with animosity, but I am moved with compassion, seeing someone who is in danger that I get up and I act in seeking to alleviate the affliction therein means, church family, that we have to possess a compassion that as we see others walking in the pain and affliction of false truth, we are moved to their rescue. It means we cannot sit back with a privatized faith uh, to each and every one their own. It means we are driven by love, not fear, and not anger. It means our affections towards others are driven by the love of God. It means my aim is to not necessarily only be nice and try to get along, but with kindness and grace and clarity to speak the truth in hopes that they might turn. It means I am to reflect the heart and action of my Lord, who while I was by nature a child of wrath, sold out to rebellion against him, completely and totally ensnared to the pattern of the enemy, according to Ephesians 2, 4, but God, great in mercy. And then it begins to tell us of how He enacted the plan of redemption to save us. It says we're to show mercy, we're to have compassion and show mercy, and it gives us a couple categories. One, on those who are doubting, quite literally those who have an internal division within their own heart, who are struggling back and forth with what is true. Here is the reality. We live in a day of false teachers. It is what it is. Scripture said it was coming. And there are going to be people, friends, children, parents, loved ones, acquaintances, who for whatever reason are attracted to and ensnared by, to different levels, false teaching. And our first response when we see that and we see someone wavering or doubting or questioning is not to go, I just can't believe how foolhardy those people would be. Listen, I promise every one of us in this room, there is some kind of counterfeit gospel that's attractive to us and how and what our proclivities towards sin are. And just because you may not be attracted to the same kind of false truth that that person's attracted to, it doesn't mean we get to be haughty and angry with each other. Because here's the other reality. There's a lot of reasons why an individual can come to a place of doubting. You don't know what their home life was like growing up. You don't know what church life they've had or not have, or spiritual abuse they've experienced or not, manipulation. You don't know what kind of tragedies and things and and, and certain false truths come in at right moments. We don't know somebody's background, but we can identify when we see someone who is doubting and we can, with compassion and desire to help them, we can go to them and seek to walk in patience through their doubts and help them come back to, by God's grace, a solidified knowledge of the truth. 
And maybe you're one of those people today in the room where you say, man, I'm really doubting. There's things I've got questions about, and I want you to hear as clear as day for me as pastor. We would love as a church to walk with you through those doubts. Now, my promise is we're going to walk with you graciously. We're going to walk with you mercifully. But we want to walk with you so you come to a solid knowledge of the truth and don't just continue to ask questions because that's a hard place to live. It says, show mercy to those who are doubting. He also says... He also says to snatch those who are going to the fire. This speaks of a decisive action. This is, this is, <laughs> this is what I do when I see Jesse take off for the street, not seeing danger coming. I don't sit back passively and go, well, to eat your own. I take a decisive quick action to snatch her up, to rescue her from impending destruction. There are some who are so committed to that which is false, they are heading for a place where if they know Christ, the discipline of God is going to be severe in their life, or if they don't know Christ, they are walking to a place that will close them off to any truth that would save them from the judgment of God. And we are called to take decisive action to go to them. And as we do it, it says we show mercy to others and it makes a statement, with fear, hating even the garment polluted by flesh, meaning this, that as we seek to show mercy on those who are struggling, as we seek to rescue and restore those who are walking in false truth, as we do that, that there is a, a holy fear of God that produces a caution in our lives to recognize that if we're not careful, we can jump over the edge of the cliff too. Now notice, he doesn't say, hey, just because you might go over the edge of the cliff, stay away. We gotta go. But we do so with caution. When it says hating the garment stained by the corruption of flesh, what it's a reference to is this. We love people. Every human is made in the image of God and is absolutely worth, worthy of value and dignity and respect. What is not worth value and dignity and respect is each and every one of our sin. To hate the garment stained by flesh means we strongly detest that we have a aversion that we hate sin. Which means as we deal with those who are struggling, even if it's a false teacher, by all means we should possess a love even for our enemies. But we should never love and accept the sin. We've got to show mercy. If we're going to contend for the gospel, it's not just a privatized faith in our own, but contending means something that on the battlefield of eternity, we see those who are being ensnared, and in mercy, we are moved to action. And here's what this is going to mean practically, church family. It's going to mean understand this. As we act, there is no guaranteed action that the person we are seeking to rescue will respond. There's not because you and I cannot control their response. Which is why, going back to prayer, we better be a people of prayer praying for those who wander. Praying for their eyes to open, for ears to hear, for the enemy's lies to be exposed. If someone who is straying is willing to talk, we need to understand where they're coming from. Doesn't mean we need to agree and affirm where they're coming from, but we need to understand where they're coming from. It means we walk patiently, we learn to listen well, 
We speak truth with gracious clarity. We learn to agree to disagree, and we avoid both arguing and compromising. And we understand that there may be times where distance is necessary. If there's someone I'm seeking to walk with and they begin to pull me over, I find myself all of a sudden getting caught up in their sin or their questions or their disbelief. That's a good time for you to pull back. But we go with mercy to those who are struggling. James Jude calls us to contend. He says we're going to contend by remembering, we're going to contend by keeping, we're going to contend by, by displaying mercy, but he, he's going to do something here at the end as we come to the end of the book and the end of our time this morning where he's going to do it all. We don't do all of this as if it's all dependent on us. Instead, we hope in the power of God's protection and perfection. Look what he says, now to him. Him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Guess what? As you and I are called to keep ourselves in the love of God, as we are called not to fall and stumble, there is one who is greater than us, who is working within us, and he is the one who possesses the ability to keep us from stumbling. Yes, as I, as, as I seek to live out the scriptures and keep myself in the love of God, I don't do it fearfully dependent upon myself, but I do it with amazing hope that as I keep myself in the love of God, it is actually possible, whether you're a student or adult or a child to live or move and breathe in today's world filled with so many false teachers in the name of Jesus, it is possible to live and move and breathe and not stumble because of who he is. He is the one who can keep us from stumbling. And to make us stand in the presence of his glory, blameless, without moral defect, without sin, and great joy. You see, here is the reality, church family, in the context of all of this contending for the faith, it's not our battle versus false teachers. It's His battle. And He wins. It's his battle, and unlike Isaiah, who when he came into the presence of God's glory, fell to his knees saying, God, rip me apart, I'm a man of sinfulness, there was no joy, there was utter terror. It says that in our lives, as those who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, that God is able to keep us walking in this world in a way where we don't stumble, and one day, to present us before Jesus blameless without defect so that not that we fall in his presence but we stand in the presence of his glory. And not just that we stand but we stand with an exuberant joy. Because our hope is not in our ability to keep ourselves in the love of God. We keep ourselves in the love of God because our hope is in the one who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us spotless and with joy in the glory of the presence of God. Now to him, the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Church family, Jesus wins. And that's why we contend. There will be days where it seems fruitless. 
There will be days where it seems like what's the point of contending because everybody just seems to go after exactly what they want to hear and nobody cares. And the, the final words of Paul to Timothy echo to us, preach the word in season or out of season, whether you see people respond or you don't see anybody respond, preach the word. Be sober-minded. Remember, wake up. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Share the gospel. Fulfill your ministry. Because church family, there is coming a day where we will breathe our last. Or if he so comes soon where we will hear the trump sound and we will see him coming in the sky. And on that day, we will give an account and stand before Christ for our lives. We will find ourselves clothed in robes of white, of glorious splendor. We will enter into the marriage supper of the Lamb where we will celebrate the victory of Jesus. And church family, may our lives be lives that echo through eternity. May our lives be lives that are, that are celebrated for prolonged time at the marriage supper of the Lamb because they were so yielded to God to contend for His purposes that He moved in His might and power through our lives. Because we are coming to a day, church family, and quite truly we're here. It's gonna cost us to affirm all Scripture affirms. We're in a day when false teachers are arising all over the place and saying that we don't have to actually affirm what the Word of God affirms, but church family, may we be people who remain in the love of God. May we be people who show mercy to rescue those who are struggling. Church family, may we be a people who by His glory and grace never fail to contend for His faith because He is the one to whom all glory, dominion, power, and honor are before all time and forever. Amen. So church family, may we contend and not just put our head down in the sand. Today is the day of his victory. May we live like it. Let's pray. Jesus, we look to you. You are on your throne. And there is a lot of contending to do. It should burden our hearts, but it should never um, paralyze our hearts. God, you've told us how to contend. We do it by having open eyes, by seeing, by understanding that far from being shocked or surprised, you said there would be people who come in your name. And, and some of them would be so convincing that they would be readily accepted among us. And so, Lord, may we, may we keep ourselves in your love. May we build ourselves up in our most holy faith so we would be able to know by being so rooted and grounded in your word and who you are and so committed to living out your glory that it would become very apparent who's teaching truth and who's teaching lies. And may we be people, Lord, who are merciful to those who are struggling. And may we do everything we can as much as you've allowed us to do to go after people to seek to rescue them from the danger, the destruction, the dissatisfaction, the absolute counterfeit that is false teaching in your name. So, Lord, I don't know how you're moving and stirring hearts this morning. You do. May those of us who are your children respond to you accordingly. May those who don't know you hear your call to the gospel, and may they respond. 
Jesus, you move in your might and power and find us responsive. It's in your name we pray. Amen.